Ah, there we go. Ring, ring. <laughs> Time for everybody to get the sweaters out and the jackets out, right? It was a lot colder in Tullahoma this week. It was raining in 37. That's, yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was cold enough for me. I was glad to get out of there eventually. I got home at, yeah. My roommate from college lives in Binghamton, New York. It was zero. But it's nice and warm down here. It's only 59. It's going to get to 70. Yeah. That's our Florida weather, and I like it. It's humid, and it's warm. Okay, we're continuing on prophecies of Christ. Uh, Doug got into helps if I turn this thing on. I, Doug got into um, a little bit with the ministry. I, I think he did about half, didn't you? So I'm going to pick up finish that. Hopefully I'll finish that this morning. And uh, if we have time, I've actually got a couple things on authority. If we don't have time, well, Doug can pick those things up and use them next week. That'll work just fine. So, Christ ministry. Hypocritical obedience to his teaching. Okay, people who said, the word said it, but the actions didn't follow. Okay, the heart was wrong with these particular people. Who would that be? Who was his nemesis when he was here on earth? Of people. Certain sacred nemesis. But who were the ones that were always in his face? Jewish leaders, yeah, Pharisees and Sadducees, they were always in his face. So, in Isaiah, we'll have a lot from Isaiah this morning. The entire vision will be to you like the words of a sealed book, which, when they gave it to one who was literate, saying, please read this, he will say, I cannot, because it's sealed. Then the book, which will be given to one who is illiterate, saying, please read this, and he will say, I cannot read. Then the Lord said, Because the people approaches me with their words and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me, and their reverence for me consists of the commandment of men that is taught. Therefore, behold, I will once again deal marvelously with these people, wondrous, wondrously marvel, marvelous. And the wisdom of their wise men will perish, and the understanding of their men who have understanding will be concealed. Woe to those who deeply hide their plans from the Lord, and those deeds are done in the dark place. They say, who sees us or who knows us? So here's Matthew. Some of the Pharisees and scribes came, came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat the bread. How are they supposed to eat, wash their hands? It's a ceremonial wash. It's a ceremony. I mean, it's where you've got to wash it, and you've got to hold your hands off, and the water has to drip off your elbows and my dad. It was a big, elaborate way you had to go through, and it wasn't like 
you know, wash your hands. Well, we'll rinse them off, you know, and you know, sometimes when I'm working, I'll rinse them off and I'm like that, maybe use a little bit of soap, something because I got to go back to work anyhow. But it was a very ceremonial way. And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves also break the commandment of God when you forsake your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother. And the one who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have, I would help you, but has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or mother. And by this, you have invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites. Rightly did Isaiah prophecy about you saying, and this is the, the prophecy that we just looked at in Isaiah. So what were they doing? What was this about as far as the hypocrisy that Christ pointed out to them? What did they love more than their parents? Money. Money. Hey, we spent it all. We gave it to God. I don't have any more money to give you, Mom and Dad. Too bad. And God, he said, you got it wrong. You've, you've, and you've made it legal by your own traditions to say, if you gave this to the, to the temple, then you don't have to help your parents out. Why did they have the tradition like that? What did the Pharisees and the Sadducees use the temple for? Huh? Taxes? Well, making money. The temple was a place. What, the, what did Christ, and we're going to get into a little bit later. What did Christ say you turned my father's house into? A den of thieves. They, if it was, a, it was a good tradition because if you gave more money to the temple, more money went in their pockets. So that's the hypocrisy he's pointing out to them. Well, yeah, you do. You have, you have televangelists, right? If you just mail in some money, God will, God will bless you, right? And here in, in Matthew, you blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar which sanctifies the offering? Therefore, the one who say, swears by the altar swears by both the altar and by everything on it. And the one who swears by the temple swears by both the temple and him who dwells in it. And the one who swears by heaven swears by both the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These are the things which you should have done without neglecting the others. You're blind, you're bl you blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So what's Christ telling them here as far as their hypocrisy? They're legalists. They've got a structure that they have, and they're very comfortable with that structure as far as keeping rules. But when they step back to say, where's your heart? Where's mercy? Where's compassion? You don't have any of that. That's the difference between what he says. He says, you're doing all these little things. You miss the big things. You miss the things that are important. And you're comfortable with it. That's the hypocrisy, he said, they had. They had missed the whole point behind being godly. It wasn't keeping little rules. It was, where's your heart? Where's your compassion? Where's your mercy? And this is a, a theme over and over again between him and the Pharisees and Sadducees. So, about his teaching. 
begin in Isaiah again. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So you see the framing there and who he's talking about with Christ. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor make his voice heard in the street. A bent reed he will not break off and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice on the earth and the coastlands will waste expectantly for his law. So what did Christ, what, did, what, is, what is the one that's being described here bring? What does Christ bring? What is his law? Two laws there, everything hangs on, right? No, there was two laws, the law, the law, all the law, all the prophets, everything was said. Two that everything hangs on. What were they? Yep. Love your neighbor as you love yourself and love God with all your, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And he said, everything hangs on that. Remember, that was a trick question that the, I think it was the scribes asked him to say. Which is the most important commandment? And they went to the Ten Commandments. They said, it's going to be one of these. And whatever he says, we can argue that he's wrong. And he, he said that, and they said, we can't argue with that. So, in John, now there were some Greeks among those who were going to worship at the feast. These people came to Philip, who was from Bethesda of Galilee, Bethsedia of Galilee, and were making a request of him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came, told Andrew. Then Andrew told Philip, came and told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour not come for the Son of Man to be glorified. So, who's coming to see Christ? Greeks. Greeks are who? The Jews? The Gentiles. Okay? So here you have who's coming because of his teachings. It wasn't just the Jews. Everybody had heard about him. And they were coming from the coastlands. And while he was at the feast, they wanted to come talk to him. Now, he didn't get in because Christ said, I came first to who? Who did he come first to? The Jews and the Greeks. His teaching to the poor. That's kind of odd, but what does it say about a rich man and getting into heaven? What, what, how did he compare that to? Camel to go through an eye of a needle. Yep. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Why? Because their idol is their money. Their idol is their money? It's worldly. It's not everlasting. Where's their heart? Right. Yeah. It's me. It's all about me. Okay? Their heart is, they're arrogant. They can do all these things for themselves. What about the poor? The poor say, I can't provide anything for myself. I mean, what point do you need to get to with your relationship with Christ and with God to understand why you need him? Well, you have to understand, I can't do this myself. The rich man says, I can do anything myself. The poor man says, I can't. He's already in the right frame of mind when Christ comes to say, you don't have to do it. I'll do it for you. But the rich man says, well, I can do it for myself. 
That's a, it's a mindset that's a problem. So, let's teach it to the poor. Again, Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. What was the philosophy or, or the thinking, not philosophy, the thinking in Jesus' day, and, and quite honestly, you find it here today, if somebody who was poor or somebody who was crippled, what, what did they think about the relationship from God? Why did they think they were in that condition? It's because they did something wrong. They sinned or something. Yeah. The, 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 yeah certainly with Job's friends. When Job experienced all the things that God didn't put on him, but Satan did. And they said, you must have done something really bad with God. And you ought to just repent because you did something wrong. And Job would say, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. But the, the, the thinking, certainly in that day, with the poor was to say, we're poor because, because we're not worthy, because we've done something wrong, because we've offended God. And so he came to say, I'm going to shake that all up. Those are the people that I'm going to because they'll listen to me. So, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. It stood up to read, and the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, and he, un un and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of God, the Lord, is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release of ca to captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set those free who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, and all the eyes of the people in the synagogue were intently directed at him. Now he began to say to him, Today, this scripture has been filled in your hearing. So what did he say? I'm here. I'm the guy. Now, if you read on in this particular scripture, how did they react? This is in Nazareth, where he, ra where he grew up from, I don't know, eight, nine years old till where he is now, about 30. How did they react to him saying, I'm and rich? the same way most people react today, they're rich. Instead of admitting they're wrong, they try to blame it on you. They viewed him as the carpenters. Yeah, isn't this Joseph's son? How did he get so smart? And then they try to throw him off a cliff. His teaching of grace. This is something they didn't hear, right? What did they hear? What, what was he taught in the synagogue? What'd you say? <laughs> well, this is, this is, this is up till, even up for the last, I don't know, since, since they reestablished it under Nehemiah. They've been teaching a particular point. They were self-righteous. Self follow the law. Follow the rules. Follow this. Do this. And then they taught their teachings. Their teachings were, 
I can't remember both of them. One is the Gehenna. One is the interpretation of the law. And the other one is the interpretation of the interpretation of the law. And you had to keep all those rules that they had in order to be righteous. If you didn't keep all those rules, they'd come get you. They'd, they'd, and if, if they wanted to, they could stone you. So that was what they had the synagogue. He's teaching grace. Big, big difference between following the rules and grace. Psalms, my heart is moved with a, with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of his ready writer. You are the most handsome of sons of mankind. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. So what was the grace? Was it how he spoke? Or what he said? And I'm not going to get through all my slides. Here in John, let's, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and called out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who is coming after me has proved to be my superior because he existed before me. And if you remember, that's John the Baptist. John the Baptist was older than Christ. For his fullness we have received in grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. So it's, it, it, certainly he was gracious in the way he spoke. But what he spoke about was grace. That's what he brought was salvation. And salvation came because of grace. Not because you earned it. So it talks about it a little bit later on in, in uh, <clears throat> the book of John, the Gospel of John. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, the one who eats me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread which came down of the heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. So how's he speaking to them? If God doesn't open your eyes, this is a hard one to understand. Most pe a lot of people stumble because of this one. What's he talk what is he eventually talking about here? The Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper, okay. The remembrance of the Lord's Supper. But unless you consume what he taught and you make it part of who you are, because that's what you do when you eat something, right? When you eat food, what happens to it? It goes in your stomach. It gets broken down by the acids, sulfuric acid. If you have acid reflux, you know what that is. When it gets broken down, it goes down into your intestines, your small intestines, and then it gets absorbed in the body and becomes part of the body. And some of us, it goes into fat, but some of it goes into the regular part of your body, okay? It becomes part of you. 
in the, in the metaphorical way he's speaking, when you listen to Christ, you listen to the word, it becomes part of you. You've eaten the word. You've eaten his flesh. You've eaten his blood because it's become a part of who you are. It's incorporated into you. And that's what he's talking about here. Now they're going saying, oh man, the guy wants us to be a cannibal. And they didn't understand what he was talking about. Because he says, I'm the bread of heaven. You have to listen to what I'm saying and you have to make what I say part of you. Part of who you are. Because if you don't, you don't have eternal life. But if you do, you will. It's a simple concept, but you've got to understand what he's really, really talking about. All will seek him. Kind of touched on that a little bit earlier when I talked about come from the coastlands. Back in Isaiah. The word which Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the, as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, so that he may teach us about his ways and we may walk in his paths. For the law will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So what's the mountain? Is the mountain a place? Or does it represent something else? Yeah. Represents. Mountains are huge. Okay. We don't have any in Florida. They got mountains that go up in the east coast. But they got really big mountains that go off in the west coast. Okay. And you can kind of see in the book of Daniel where it talks about it. Is the stone. That destroys all the other kingdoms that are represented in the big statue. But here he's comparing the mountain. Here is the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains. In other words, the kings of the earth won't even look. They'll be, they'll be small compared to the mountain that's coming, to the king that's coming. So in Genesis, I'm going I'm to look at both of these that it talks about because it's the same subject. As for you, Judah, your brothers shall praise you your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. So who's talking here in Genesis? This is 49. It's way into Genesis. Judah's, Judah's one of the sons. He's got brothers. Huh? Joseph. Joseph. Joseph? No, his dad. It's Jacob. Israel. This is Jacob, or Israel. He's talking to his sons, and he's talking to Judah. He's going through Reuben, all the other ones, you know. He's going through them all, and talking to them all, and then he's talking to his sons. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who, stares, who dares to stir him up? The scepter will not part, depart from Judah, nor will the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. It doesn't say the select people. It says the peoples. So what's he, who's, what's he talking about? What is Jacob prophesizing here when he's talking to Judah?
Isn't he really saying through you, Judah? Because remember, the promise was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to say, through your seed, all mankind will be blessed. At this point, Jacob is saying, Judah, it's going to come out of your tribe. The one who's going to be the fulfillment of that prophecy is going to come from you, from your descendants. So, in John, this is where Christ is talking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is, hired, who's, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he is a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own own me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life with the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. So what's he talking about? This is Christ. Yeah, this is the other sheep that he's talking about. He's talking about it to the disciples to say, you got to understand, there are other sheep. I'm the good shepherd. Who's the comparison between the good shepherd and the bad shepherd? Who's the bad shepherd? The Jewish leadership. Because they don't care about the sheep. They care about money. They care about power. But they don't care about people. People are a tool. The, people, the poor, everybody else, it's as much as we can wring out of them. Because it's all about me. That's the bad, the hireling that he's referring to here. He's the good shepherd. Because he's going to give them good things. And, he's, and they're going to come to him. He's not going to, that's the relationship between a shepherd and... And a hireling, too, is when the shepherd calls the sheep, the sheep come. When the hireling calls them, they don't come because they don't know who he is. Good tidings. When Christ taught, did he condemn any people as far as his, his, his running theme except for the hypocrites? No. People who were trying to seek God, he always had a positive message for. The only ones negative that he had a message for was the hypocrites. So, back in Isaiah. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore on that day I am the one who is speaking. Here I am. How delightful on the mountains are the feet of one who brings good news. Who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen raise their voices. They shout joyfully together, for they will see with their own eyes when the Lord restores Zion. So what's he talking about? If somebody was poor, somebody was suffering from some sort of physical problem what was their their outlook that had been shaped as far as them and God
Excuse me? He, he can cure them, but the, what was the Pharisees and the Sadducees' message for someone like that? You've done something wrong, and you don't have a chance with God. Okay? You ought to figure out what that is you did wrong and stop doing it, but you've done something wrong. There was no message of salvation from there, was there? When they talked to somebody, it was condemnation. Right? It was condemning you because you did something wrong. And with the rules and the list they had between the law, the interpretation of the law, and the interpretation of the interpretation of the law, there was something you were going to break, and they could condemn you as they condemned Christ. Here, in Luke, And you, child, also will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation. But the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender and the mercy of our God. So here is where you have a, a prediction, because this is Luke 1, and this is to John that you're going to bring the way to salvation. Further in Luke, and he came to Nazareth where he was brought up in his testament. So this is the same one that I went into. And today this scripture has been filled where he's talking about it from the other part of, of Isaiah where he says, I'm the one who's going to go and I'm going to bind up the captives. Now how did the Jews feel about it when he said, when, when Isaiah said it as far as captives? How'd they react? Is that my next one? How did they react? Remember? They said, we're free people. We're not captives. It happened twice. It happened in Egypt and it happened in Babylon, but we're we don't know what you're talking about. Well, in this one, Luke. Now he was going, they were spreading their cloaks on the road. So what's this? What's this week that he's talking about here that Luke's talking about? Where's this road leading to? Huh? Yeah, but what, what's this week called normally? It's called the Passion Week. Okay. Why is he going to Jerusalem? I mean, Clayton said what ultimately he's going to Jerusalem for, but why was he returning to Jerusalem at this time? It's a Passover. He went every year during the Passover. Passover is one of the big feasts in the Jewish feasts. One of the big holidays in the Jewish holidays. And as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully and with a loud voice for all the miracles which he had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King, the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. And yet some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Jesus said, If I tell you, if these stop speaking, the stones will cry out. So how do the people greeting him when he's coming into Jerusalem? As a king. A king that brings peace and glory to the God highest. Yeah, I kind of wondered about did they, they, went, they go out and hire a crowd or what? How did they, how did they exactly do that? Because they, they turned people around in, a, in four days, five days, five days. They turned people around from where they were to where they got them to. Rulers startled. 
Okay, these were rulers who be actually began to believe, at least to some extent. Back in Isaiah, behold, my servant will prosper. He will reign high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred by that of the son, by, by beyond that of a man, in its form beyond the sons of mankind. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they have not been told, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. I pulled, there was actually other references, but I kind of like the one I pulled here. They took Jesus before and he went out carrying his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. Now before this, he went to all his trials, right? He went to Caiaphas, he went to the priests, he went to the Sanhedrin, he went to Herod, remember? He went to Herod. Then they sent him to Pilate. Why did they send him to Pilate? They were scared of the, they were under occupation. He but, was the governor. But, who killed Stephen? Did they worry about the Romans? Stephen was stoned to death by the Jews. They dragged him out of the town. They, they stoned him. So that was the stated reason. What did the Jews, what did the Jewish leadership not want on their hands? The blood of Christ. They didn't want the people to come back and say, you killed him. They wanted to say, oh, no, 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 the Romans killed him. We didn't kill him. They were passing accountability off to somebody else because they didn't want come, people to come back to them and say, you killed the son of God. They said, no, 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 the Romans did this. Anyhow, he had gone to Pilate. And what was Pilate trying to do? What was Pilate really trying to do? Get him off. When he talked to him, he tried to get him off. Then he scourged him. I mean, he almost beat him to death. And he put him out in front of the people. Now, who do you want to release? I think he was really, this is, this is Chuck. I think really he was trying to say, isn't this enough? Can I release him? So he got to this particular point. There they crucified him. In him... And him, two other men, one on either side, and Jesus in between. Now Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the King of the Jews. Therefore many of the Jews read the inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, the city being Jerusalem. And it was written in Hebrew and Latin and in Greek. So it was written in, the Romans understood it, the Greeks understood it, and the Jewish leaders understood it. So the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, rather write, he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Did Pilate think maybe there was something more going on here? His wife did have the dream, says, don't get involved in this. And Pilate did everything he could to try and release him. But the will of God was done. The will of God was done, even in spite of all the things. That's probably part of the reason why Christ kept quiet. I mean, he talked a little bit to Pilate. And Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, what you say is right. 
But Pilate suspected that that prophecy in Isaiah where it says they'll understand, Pilate began to understand. Remember the soldier at the cross when Christ died? Truly, this is the Son of God. Even the Gentiles got it. His arrival at, this, at the temple is kind of interesting. Behold, I am sending my messenger. He will clear away before me. And the Lord, whom you are seeking, will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. This is in Malachi. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. In a lot of those books, after the coming back from the um, captivity in uh, Babylon, it seems like God, because it does it in Ezra and Nehemiah, I hadn't looked at any of the, and I think also in Zechariah, he refers to himself as the Lord of Armies. That's the Father. In Mark, then they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple area and began to drive out those who were selling and buying the temple grounds. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise throughout the temple grounds. And he began to teach them and say, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and scribes heard this, and they began seeking how to put him to death. For they were afraid of him, because all the crowds was, was, were, were, was astonished at his teaching. So here you have him coming to the temples. How many times did he clear the temples? Twice. One of them he ran out with whips. Why? What was the temple supposed to be? It was his father's house. What was, the supposed, what was the temple supposed to be? A place of refuge. A place of hope. A place where they talked about mercy and compassion. It had become commerce. It was, it, it, and it was, they were a bunch of thieves. I mean, hey, you want to you bring your, your uh, sacrifice, right? You had to bring your sacrifice. Oh, that's not good enough. You have to buy one of our animals to sacrifice. Oh, oh you want to pay for it with Greek money? Got to have temple money. Now, granted, our temple money is 10 cents on a buck. Okay? You give a dollar, you get 10 cents. So you've got to spend a lot more of your money. So we do the money changing. Now you can buy that animal, and that's how their commerce went. That's what they were doing in the temple. And he says, you made it a den of thieves. His authority. I am going to get into some of that. Miracles of healing. Why would that be authority? You'd have to be the creator to be able to control something like that. Yeah, if you're going to do something that... It can't be done. People can't do this. It shows that your power comes from God. Of course, they said, not your power comes from Beelzebub. And he says, what was his, what was his response to that? When they said it came from, came from Satan, basically. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Somebody else used that. Gettysburg Address. So, and Isaiah, back again. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The retribution of God will come, but he will save you. 
Then the eyes of those who are blind will be opened, and the ears of those who are deaf will be unstopped. Then those who limp will leap like a deer, and the tongue of those who cannot speak will shout for joy. For waters will burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, and the scorched land will become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs a water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. The high will be, the high will be there, a roadway. It will be called the highway of holiness. The last part of this, in verses 7 and 8, is talking about scorched land that will become springs, water, life. The contrast is, right now, you live in the desert. Your hope is gone. As, as someone who's trying to follow God, because it, it's so dimly lit, it's so bad, there is no way there. I'm gonna make your hope like this fertile ground with these pools of water like that. It's, it's all metaphors that he's speaking here. But he's, in five and six, he's talking about what his, what his authority, what he will do when he comes. He will go to those people who are cast-offs. Those people that say, you did something wrong, we're, just, we're not gonna take care of you. In Matthew, I'll get down to this. This is where he touched the two men's eyes. And he made him see. In Mark, this is a man who couldn't hear. You get down into verse 34. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephephanata, that is, be opened. And his ears was opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. So you can see where Christ satisfied that prophecy because of the things that he did. The only way he could do that is if God was with him, that gave him the authority. His point, was his point to come in here and heal people of physical ailments? No. His point was to come here and heal the soul. Heal the spirit. Rejoin people's spirit with God to provide salvation, hope, compassion, and mercy. Totally different message than they were getting from any of the teachers at that particular day. In Matthew again, it talks about um, a paralyzed man laying on a stretcher. And the first thing he says, your sins are forgiven. Kind of like, that's the important thing. He says, but to show you I have the authority, I'm going to raise this man up. And he, and he makes it where he can walk, he takes a stretcher, and he goes home. But the real healing was of his spirit, which is the point he was making. But also, he fulfills the prophecy here, is to say, to show you I have the authority to forgive sins, watch. And that's the whole point behind the miracles, was to show he had the authority to forgive sins. Well, I almost got done. Thank you for your patience.